Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavy hops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. We're taking all these influences that we like and trying to pull out the best things we like about that, do our own rendition of it so we get to play it and it hopefully give us the same feeling that listening to them does. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. Joining me this week is Katie Davies, guitarist and vocalist for the British grindcore band Pupil Slicer. The band's debut, Mirrors, was released in March 2021 and it captured my interest. The combination of mathcore, grind, and post-metal was unique in its delivery and transformative in its effect on me as a listener. I found myself revisiting Converge's Jane Doe and Dillinger Escape Plan's Calculating Infinity, finding new musical and lyrical nuggets within those classic albums. In addition to describing how those and other artists have impacted their song and riff writing, Katie touches on vocal style and conveying tension between the fun musical energy they perceive from these influences and Pupil Slicer's lyrics. Let's dive and get heavy. Katie Davies, welcome to Heavy Hops. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Thermal Runaway contains the namesake single and remixes of Wounds Upon Skin, which is from Mirrors, and there's two remixes of that song. So let's start with the title track of the single. One of the sort of differences that I noticed between this track and those comprising of Mirrors was your sort of vocal style and in particular sort of the chorus, your screaming expression in the chorus. Can you sort of tell me a little bit about how you approached your voice for this track? I'm not very good at singing, so I don't really know what I was doing. I, I couldn't, loads of people have been like, oh, it's so different to the vocals and mirrors. Uh, I don't think I could do those again because I forgot how or what I did then. <laughs> and they weren't also like the split I did before the vocals on there. So yeah, it was a bit different, but I did, uh, mirrors was quite an experimentation. I didn't know what would work and what wouldn't, uh, what people would like, what people wouldn't. Uh, so I was, I was a bit tentative on that. Whereas the feedback I got on Mirrors, everyone was just like, whatever you're doing, it's sick. Do whatever you want. Everything sounds great. Uh, and people really liked the sort of eerie cleans and stuff. And I wasn't sure about those at the time. And the sassy bits I wasn't sure about. But uh, yeah, so everyone, people were like, do whatever. So I was like, cool. Oh, I don't ever, yeah. So I, I clean the, mo- the most clean singing out of any song on this one. But I mean, someone's screaming over the clean singing, so sort of <laughs> cancels itself out. But yeah, I was happy with how it came out. I think, yeah, I was a little bit more free, a bit more confident in being like whatever is tracked will probably come out well. Whereas on the album, I was like, oh, do I need to record a second version of this harsh in case I don't like it? But here I was just like, nah, sounds cool. A bit more confident. That's a good phrasing in the sense of having like the clean parts and then screams over it and the texturing sort of being a little bit different. But you said you forgot how you did the vocals on Mirrors. Explain how one forgets such an experience. (laughs) Well, I remember doing it. I just don't remember what I did to make the sounds then. Because I think my 
screams like a different tone now than they were then. And I, I don't know. I, I need to get some lessons. I'm going to try and get some lessons because my voice is still gone because I recorded um, some guest vocals for Sugar Horse and uh, Thought Crime this week, last weekend. And yeah, um, my voice is still gone. I'm really worried about the tour, which would have happened by the time this. So uh, you'll see the news if I've lost my voice completely or not by then. Uh, but I was, yeah, I'm 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 gonna get lessons and and chatting with other singers and trying to figure out what to do because that's like my main drawback. If I want to keep doing the band, probably need to look after my voice and have a bit of insight into what I should be doing and shouldn't be. I always kind of wonder that about metal vocalists and people that are engaged in heavy music because the noises that emit from your mouth are not natural necessarily in terms of how we communicate on a daily basis. People have developed a certain impression of the band based on one album, Mirrors, and a single, basically. So it's not as though there's a lore of catalog where people have built up expectations over decades and decades of this is what the Katie Davies sound is. I'm expecting that. Is it okay to actually change? And I mean, I guess the same thing could also apply for the music too, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're not approaching anything trying to do one thing. We're not trying to do mirrors again. The new single is like, I guess in a similar vein, because the new single was written, uh, Summer Runaway was written for the second album, but I wanted a bit more time to finish writing the second album. So we're like, we'll release that now. I'm not sure if it'll be on the second album yet. It probably will just because it doesn't seem like there's any way we're going to be able to get like seven inches made for it because of the vinyl shortages. So I'm like, I'll just chuck it on there, even if it's just a bonus track just so people can have it. But yeah, there's not really a one thing. And I think on album two, the things people liked about album one, everything will be there. We're trying to make the crazy parts go crazier, the riffs go harder, but then, you know, a bit more experimentation, a bit less uh, having... The, the, like the last song on, on the album, Collective Unconscious, was very, like, a bit out there and we weren't sure about putting on the album at the time. Uh, but we were really happy with how that came out. Now we're like, oh, we should do more stuff like that. We should go about our way... And, uh, and this single was a good chance to sort of let loose a little bit. Uh, yeah, but, but, you know, don't be afraid of playing a chorus more than once in the song, which is sort of the first album was a bit just here's a list of riffs, that's the end of the song. Um, no, paying a bit more attention to song structures. I think we want to spend a bit more time on pre production as well and actually like look at this and be like, are we happy with everything here? I mean, I did that a lot on the first album, but I think I want to filter it through a producer more because uh, Ped didn't come into the process until basically all the songs are done on the first album. Whereas it, that whoever we go with on the second one, we want to sort of uh, have a bit more insight into putting the songs together but spend a bit more time on it and and yeah it was, it was really fun like i did lows on this new on on thermal runaway as well and they came out really well um on like the big breakdown and the death called blah <laughs> but it was all just fun it's just having fun that's what the music is at the end of the day 
having a good time. There's a juxtaposition that I hear both in this particular song in Thermal Runaway and that I sort of gathered in the debut Mirrors as well. Like a juxtaposition between that exact feeling that you were sort of describing where a listener can interpret a level of fun just because of all of the interplays of the different types of music that are going together. It's a very fun combination, but there's another side to it as well, which is the lyrical side and, you know, what this is all sort of a reaction to or what this is trying to express. It's an interesting sort of tension for the listener. And I'm kind of curious, like how you see that as the musician, really sort of as the voice as well. Yeah, I think it is, it's really interesting that juxtaposition because, yeah, I think when, when writing the songs, I start with like the musical side of it before lyrical content. So I think I'm trying to create stuff that's fun, that's exciting to listen to um, and stuff and like create like emotional push and pull in the music, but like still, you know, it, it's, it's got to be enjoyable to listen to and stuff. And then lyrically I go in and then I'm spending more time being like, right, how do I have these, the rhythm of these vocals or whatever these vocals are doing serve the song, but then find lyrical content uh, to fill that space out that is meaningful that people connect to and then, you know, get and, and stuff that I'll connect to because I want to give a good performance with it. And then in the tracking, uh, sort of half and half, depending on the song, like getting a good emotional performance and then just hitting all the rhythms correctly because some of them are really hard to sing. And then sort of for me, that's where the more emotional side of the vocals ends is after it's tracked because after then it's just so hard to play the guitar and sing the songs at the same time that that is sort of more just a technical feat at that point and then it's just it's fun when you pull it off because it is like patting your head and rubbing your stomach and and like when you get the polyrhythms between the vocals and like playing the parts down and you can like do that it feels really fun having that go over and I think that's why the music's fun because there's so many things going on at once but uh so yeah once 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 it's tracked it's sort of more of just a technical challenge to execute it again but fun when when you can and then hoping that people have fun listening to it being there live you know seeing people sing them back at us that hasn't happened yet well as of recording that hasn't happened yet I'm wondering if it will but the most people we've played to is like 50 people in the basement and then this tour the Rolo tour that would have happened like a couple of weeks before this goes out the biggest venue on that's like 1200 capacity so it's it's quite a step up and and our album came out as well in the time that since we played our last gig so it'd be really interesting to see people who have heard our music seeing us live <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of people watching you rub your tummy and pat your head yeah uh, <laughs> It's kind of crazy to think that normally without a pandemic, a band at a particular point in your career would have probably have done multiple tours before, after the first album came out, and then before the single leading into the second album would have come out on a very quote-unquote normal trajectory. And so a lot of these are delayed in some way for you, and so maybe, and these gaps are also pretty big, like you were saying, going from playing to 50, maybe 100 people to 1,200 is a pretty massive gap, but it's also the proving ground for bands, right? Can you make that kind of jump, right? Yeah. 
Definitely. Let's jump back into Thermal Runaway. You sort of talked a little bit about the lyrics and we were sort of dancing around the topic of lockdown a little bit. Can you talk a little more about what that song is communicating lyrically? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, like like all this stuff I write, I try to leave it an, an area where people can draw their own conclusions out of it, find something to connect to. But I guess on a larger scale, it's... Looking, it's looking at the like the process of thermal runaway and like nuclear reactors and stars where they uh, where like a supernova happens or a nuclear meltdown where uh, it's a chain reaction of one event tipping the scales and then it get it just snowballs and snowballs and until like everything blows up and like that in an emotional sense of like you be having a bad day or or, or, or like some. You know, it's, it's a compound thing of like being stuck inside with the pandemic, like like any any depression going on. Usually, like little events become bigger, and then you get sort of get stuck in this hole of uh, being depressed and uh, or like anxiety and stuff, and sort of how it just gets worse and worse. If there's like nothing to pull you out of that process, if you're like on your own, just stuck in your own head, like everything becomes the end of the world and um yes that's sort of what it was about yeah Kara from the armed carol drollshagen contributed to this track as well and you've been public about your admiration for that band the armed and anyone who likes music who likes heavy music would feel the same way pretty fantastic group how did Kara come to mind as a collaborator for that track i just really like the armed and uh uh, I was listening to, I think it was before Ultrapop came out, just some of the singles and then like uh, the song they had in Cyberpunk. And I was like, this is fantastic. Cara's vocals are like so unique and stuff. I wish I could do something like that. I could see where I could place it in, in like this song I'm writing. And then and then I was just like, well, Pedar producer had Tony from the Arms do guest vocals on a section song. So I'll just ask him to ask Tony to ask Cara. <laughs> I did. And then Tony was just like, I'll just message her on Instagram. And I did. And I was like, oh, we're working on this track. Uh, we would love you to be a part of it. Uh, have a good day. And she came back like the next day and was like, I love the track. This is amazing. Thank you so much. I'm honored to, for you to do it. I love your band. And we were just like, we had this call with her, all four of us. Like, our new guitarist, Frank, is um, he's like a massive armed fan. There's like a photo of him in a pupil size of shirt, seeing the armed like four or five years ago next to Kara, <laughs> which is really funny. Um but he's a massive fan of theirs, uh, longer than like, any of the rest of us. But yeah, we had this call and he was like so excited and we, that we were just having this call with Zero and just chatting about the song and stuff. And she was spending the whole call being like, thank you so much for wanting me to be part of this. This is a great song. Love your band and stuff. And it's like, you're, you're the one who's like changing the face of modern music. Uh, we're, we're sort of just doing a bit more math core <laughs> but yeah it came out really well I'm really happy with how it came out um really good that we got to include her in the video as well because there was a time where it wasn't looking like that would be possible just because of scheduling but it all sort of worked out in the end you're listening to heavy hops we'll have more from katie davies in a minute there are a few things happening in the world of heavy hops and scorched tundra that i want to share you can find tickets to scorched tundra present shows 
at scorchtundra.com slash tickets. And be sure you're in Chicago on Labor Day weekend 2022 to experience the next Scorch Tundra Festival. We've also created a crowdfunding source for all things heavy hops and Scorch Tundra. If you love what we do and want to support us, find the donate link in the episode notes and give what you'd like. Giving any amount will grant you access to our Discord community and an opportunity to contribute to making this show and Scorch Tundra content the best it can be. Please also consider sharing this episode, rating us, and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps others find us. Thanks for this moment and back to our conversation with Katie Davies. It was a cool video as well, too, in terms of the location and the performance shots as well. I thought it was very cool. Obviously, we don't have hundreds of year old castles here in the U.S., so not really a setting that we think about that often for videos. But it's always fun to see heavy bands in those spaces and in particular heavy bands that aren't like singing about Templar Knights and stuff like that. Like actually like contemporary bands doing interesting things. How did that sort of uh space come to mind i think we were just looking for somewhere that looked cool we didn't really have anything in mind for the video we were sort of looking at like like i think at one point some like radio telescopes and stuff because that sort of tied into the supernovas and stuff but it was just i, I don't know I, I think everything just fell through but then um our bassist had always wanted to like do something in these castles and we were like well scott canty who did the video um he did a great job for the wounds video and that was just going a warehouse thrash about and it will look cool uh, so we just got this location right it's a cool looking location we'll just go there thrash about and it looked cool <laughs> so it worked out um and then like it was all sort of there wasn't much planned for it. like the flowers in the video i'm like dancing around with and stuff uh we were literally like on the drive to the fort and passed by like a tesco which is a store here other stores are available um <laughs> And uh, saw like they had some nice cool flowers. And then Frank, as a joke, was like, Oh, you should get some of those for the video. And I was like, Haha, yeah. And I was like, Oh, why not? And we'll figure out what to do with them later. So he bought them and then uh, bought them down and then managed to get them in the shop. So. <laughs> Yeah, worked out. It's a great location, and I thought that it was a cool space for the conveyance of the music. And the single was also recorded with Lewis Johns at the ranch. He's also worked with Svalbard, you know, former tour mates, Rolo Tomasi as well, Funeral for a Friend. How did this come about in terms of recording this at the ranch? That was because basically we recorded the drums on mirrors with uh, Mike Malian, who's in um, Monuments, uh, and he doesn't really have that home studio for recording drums anymore. Um, So we had to find somewhere and we were just like, well, Southampton's not too far away. And we know like employed serve and Rolo and stuff have have recorded there and it sounded good and they were like well if we're doing the drums there they had suggested we should try doing a whole single in a studio just to see what that process is like if like just to see because on album one it was all sort of di'd at home i just recorded the guitars at home uh bass was recorded at luke's and then we just sent that to bed and he reamped it on that end so this time we did it in a like proper big budget studio. I say big budget, it's not like Sony owned studios. It's it's like thousands, not like tens of thousands. But um yeah, it it came out really well in the end. Yeah, it was a really fun experience. Although like if we did do an album there, I hope we get the bigger room because the room we were in was like a converted stable. So there was like no toilet or anything. It was just like 
this room that had bunk beds in and like a TV. And then if you wanted to go to the toilet, you'd had to walk like five minutes out the door to like this outhouse and stuff. It was very, uh, we were there three days, but you know, it's off the art. But it's fine. They've got an apartment there as well you can take if you stay longer. So that's what we would be doing. You've also released a live cover of Converge's Concubine, which is a fantastic rendition of a fantastic song. And for listeners, there's a link to the performance footage in the episode notes. Is this a song that you play regularly? Why is this song sort of important to you? Well, it's a really sloppy performance because that was like from our live set. and <laughs> We've been recording for like eight hours that day. So unfortunately, it's not as like tight as we'd want it to be. Uh, yeah, it's just something that we've like covered at shows sometimes if we needed to fill out space for like years since we, since our very first gig we've been covering it. So although Josh has said he doesn't want to cover it anymore, <laughs> I, I like covering it. But then we are in a situation now where for our set list we're having to cut out our own songs. Like it used to be, we didn't have enough songs to fill out like a twenty minute set. So let's put this cover in, and now it's like oh, we have like forty minutes worth of songs we want to put in the set. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, so basically we just want to play everything on the album and the new single. And it's like forty-five minutes. We're getting like half an hour slots, so we've got to actually pick and choose which songs are going in. So I don't know if we'll be playing that again anytime soon. Maybe if we have a longer set in future. I think that's always a challenge with bands with generally sort of shorter songs is, okay, how do we inch towards this 30 minute, 35 minute set time? And I think that Converge song is like, it's under two minutes, I think, right? So it is very much like an inch towards the finish line. And so it's an interesting position to be in where you actually have to pick and choose what you perform live. Going back to the song Concubine, why did you choose it to sort of release publicly? To me, that says that it's kind of important apart from being a fixture live i think we wanted to get out just because because we have been covering it like every show for like the last four or five years or whatever but we also couldn't be bothered to like do it in the studio or like have higher out time or if we're in the studio to record something we want to be spending all that time on the songs that we're recording and not doing like a cover or something so sort of just taking it out of the live set we'd done seemed like the best way to get our take on it out there even if it was kind of sloppy <laughs> One of the things that I enjoyed about that album was that it draws from so many different expressions of heavy music. And it also sort of did this thing where it took me back in a way to where I found myself going back to like calculating infinity and Jane Doe. I like those albums and they were pretty firmly in the past for me for a long time. And so it was really fun to have this album not only be a vehicle for interesting music, but to also take me back to music that was at one point like very important to me. So that was a multitude of different things that made that album a very sort of interesting to me. How do these sorts of like musical inspirations swirl together? There's also game music. I hear within the structures and the tempo changes also like Japanese music too. I'm a big fan of this band, Maximum the Hormone, and it sounds exactly like the sorts of shifts and changes that they would do, which could be highly coincidental, obviously. But it's just an interesting sort of swirl of things. Where are you sort of drawing these things from? It's like a really fun combination. I think it is just sort of all the music I like. I just, most of the time it's just I'm listening to music. And when it's music I really like, I'm like, I want to do something like that. And I'll remember what that is and do my take on it. Like the 
in specific, like the breakdown at the end of Husk is just Scourge Vine by Cannibal Corpse because it's a good riff. And I was like, I'll do a, a version of that so I get to play it as well. <laughs> um, it's a paying tribute, basically, to all these bands that were like, we like, and then being like, we want to do something like that, but also make it something new as well because it's mashing all these different influences together. So like, yeah, Calculating Infinity era, um, Dillinger and like Jane Doe are also like huge influences. Like besides our album, Jane Doe's the only album I can play all the way through. <laughs> so it's probably why that, that sound sort of bleeds in because I've like, spent ages learning those songs. Um, but yeah, there's, it, it's just sort of a billion things. Right. I think the maximum of the hormone thing is a coincidence. I do like them, but not, I haven't listened to them enough to like start absorbing song structure. Writing processes often, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's just a, a lot of uh, I'd say main like converged Dillinger, uh, Code Orange is a big one. I think that's probably where the tempo changey sort of stuff comes from is Code Orange because uh, they do a lot of that. But then all their stuff's just ripping off like Machine Heads and stuff like that. Like, everyone's influenced by someone, so it all sort of becomes its own thing in the end. <laughs> That's kind of where I want to head with some of this is like the compounding of all of the different interpretations of interpretations over time is happening like very, very quickly because of how quickly music can be recorded and released now. And people are growing up with different sorts of inspirations. And so things are happening so quickly, which creates like a really dynamic environment to be a listener and a performer in. And it also makes things really complicated if you're a writer because you have to explain something that's happening a lot quicker than the mechanisms with which you use to organize and categorize music changes. It's interesting in that way. And I think that was another thing that struck me was that it was very hard to put a finger on it. And I liked that because something that's easy to put in a box has like a time and place and it can be really fun. But also it's just like all the other things before it. So what does it then get baked into into the future? Do you have any sorts of thoughts on how these things compound for you? It's really interesting as an artist as well when you're always creating new things like whatever you're releasing currently is like a year if not two or three behind what you're currently working on so everyone's like I tried with this single really hard to not like rinse it before it came out so that I, like when it came out I could like enjoy it along with other people because we're making music we want to enjoy because we're we're taking all these influences that we like and trying to pull out the best things we like about that do our own rendition of it so we get to play it and it hopefully give us the same feeling that listening to them does. Uh, and then hope other people like that as well because we're it's like a best of other bands coming in and then that's our band. But then in 10 years, or it's, with the speed of things, in two years, there'll be a band that's like picking the best of pupil size of riffs and I'll be like, well, these are just these riffs and uh, it, all sort of, it all sort of trickles down. Like at the moment, I'm super into like Lowers and Oathbreaker and Static Dress. And like pulling influences from those sorts of things and the arms, like there's stuff that sounds like the armed and new things coming out, but then who knows how that's going to be. Like when album two comes out, what will be my influences then? <laughs> it's sort of, sort of, it's really weird. And I think because of all these like overlapping things of like people are being influenced by bands that are like doing music right now, 
Uh, but then when their stuff comes out, they'll have moved on to something else and someone else will be influenced by them. And it's sort of, maybe it like filters out. I'm not saying music's getting better, but it's really interesting how it will filter out certain things that loads of people like. You notice certain like types of breakdowns start to like come up in different bands and stuff. And I guess that's how you get musical trends and stuff is like the things everyone agrees upon liking and like, and it's like, I want to do that becomes part of just a lot of people's music. But I didn't think there's anything wrong with that because if you want to do it and you think it sounds good, do it because other people probably will too. There'll be an audience for it. And it's easier to find that audience as well. So there's a lot more support for artists to draw from so many different types of expressions. One of the other things that sort of drew me to this band was the name Pupil Slicer. And there's another band from Britain that plays a very different style of music called Dragged Into Sunlight. And these two bands express like they're very strong expressions of something that's like very specific. And to me, this name Pupil Slicer, it just makes you feel something immediately as soon as you hear that name because everyone has a pupil for the most part and so you imagine that slicing happening and when I hear it at least I think of all the things that all of a sudden don't happen to me or can't happen anymore because my pupil's been sliced and so it's something that makes me feel a lot when I hear it in some way and so I would just kind of wonder where that name came from. Well, uh... I I don't know if we could. Um, we, we, there's two stories. There's uh, the uh, we can be all intelligent and be like, oh yeah, Salvador did Salvador Dali's like nine, early 1900s film on Chinandalu, where there's the famous scene of the woman getting her eye cut. That's meant to be about dropping all your expectations, and then it's sort of a fever dream of different events happening and stuff. So we can say it came from there, or we can say the truth, which is I thought it was a really funny name. Uh, so, so I was like, it's the stupidest like grindcore band name I can think of. I had it before we had any riffs. So I was just like, I have to use this name for something. It's like funny, but I think it works for the band in 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 that context of being like sort of lower your expectations because you know we're not trying to be anyone's thing, and it's quite hard to pinpoint next. We're just going to make the music that we like playing and like listening to and hope other people will like it too. So it works, it works on multiple levels. And then I guess it does like get that base emotional sort of reaction to it. We're like, Oh, that's, I wouldn't want that to happen to me. And then I guess a lot of the music is quite intensely emotional about bad things <laughs> happening to people that do happen in real life. So yeah, I think, I think it's a funny title and it gets people's attention, which is, what you want a band title to do. Cause I quite like the juxtaposition as well, of like having a name like, like that, but then we don't have a slam band logo. So you're like, what sort of music is this? We have like a really clean polished logo. Then what kind of band is that? It's hard to, sort of intriguing for people i think there's definitely a couple of levels to it in terms of how you interpret the name and then when you place it within the context of the music and the visual presentation of the band in some ways it's confusing but that's also part of the fun but the name fits right if you think of like a grind band or you think of something that is very visceral and in your face very few things are more imaginably visceral than getting your pupil sliced so very effective in that regard and i love it Thermal Runaway being your new single, you alluded to it being part of a set of new songs that you're working on. 
when can people expect another full length and how are things coming together in that front? Uh, probably still a while off. I, I, I'm hoping for start of next year, probably for a full length. It gives us time to tour this album, track a second one, and then like spend a lot of time refining it. So yeah, ho- hopefully like this time next year, uh, we'll have something greater to show the world, but the track should be a good sort of, sort of keeps on track. It's been like a year since Mirrors came out and then we've got the sort of track in the middle of the gap. And then, uh, so if we want, we don't want people to get bored of us. So here's something new. <laughs> well said. Kay Davies, thank you so much for coming on Heavy Hops. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for having me.